and we are live. Hello, hello, and welcome to Strong Tea. I'm Vicky, and I'm Katie. And if you haven't joined us before, uh, you are most welcome. And please do check out our other episodes, which offer an incredibly diverse range of topics and guests, but all with the same thing in common. So our podcast covers topics that could be considered taboo, subjects that can be difficult to talk about, and areas that we feel we need to talk or learn more about and share with everyone. Absolutely. And today is no exception. Um, You have joined us in the midst of our mini-series, which is all about death. Uh, Now, a lot of people don't want to talk about death. They don't want to talk about dying. Um, It's completely understandable. It's quite a scary topic. Um, But today, uh, we are going to be delving into that a little bit further. Now, what we will say before we get into this, there is a trigger warning, because obviously, we will be talking about the loss of loved ones, and it can be quite triggering for some people. So just proceed with caution if you are feeling a little bit sensitive. Now, today's episode is all about parental loss, and we're going to be speaking with Vicky and the lovely Eva, who is a return guest, um, who I'll leave it to Vicky to reintroduce. Uh, But we're going to be talking about their experiences with the uh, death of their parents, and we'll be asking the questions that many might be afraid to ask or talk about. So, Vicky, over to you. Oh, we're so lucky and privileged to have Eva Lake returning to us as a, as a guest. Returning guest, yay! Yay! Eva's appeared on oh, um, oh, no, we're so lucky to have you back and we're absolutely blown away um, that you've actually come back as well. <laughs> we didn't scare you off. <laughs> but Eva appeared on our spiritual healing episode. Um, she's the founder of Moonhive Healing. Um, what she does is through energy and sound healing, rituals and ceremonies she helps establish a sacred space where people can explore and facilitate uh healing and expansion um and Eva's also training to be a soul doula which I'm sure we'll we'll talk about later on in the episode absolutely but before we get into the seriousness of all of this um all important question what are we drinking Eva you first um, I've got some uh, rose tea today, oh. very, very nice. It's a yogi tea, so the little message on the tab is um, happiness is an accomplishment. Oh, so simple yet so true. Oh, I love that. I do. That's that. Oh, that sounds nice. That's gonna, mine hasn't got a posh, a posh tag on it. So we're going to leave mine <laughs> for a minute. Uh, Vicky, what are you drinking? Well, you being a legend bought me loads of tea a little while ago. Some I have no idea what is even in them. But this nothing one's illegal. Very, nothing illegal. <clears throat> um, so, <laughs> cannot <laughs> confirm nor deny. Um, so it was Vadam 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 tea. Um, apologies if I've got that wrong. And it's chamomile and lavender. Mm. Yeah, and is it nice? Really, yeah. Do you know what? It tastes quite perfumey but quite nice and I've got it in a skull crusher coffee mug because you know it's good to have a dark and a light side (laughs) absolutely I mean I'm quite proud of my uh, mug today I've got gone for a uh, Grey's Anatomy Team McDreamy mug because it's always (laughs) Team McDreamy Um, and I'm drinking a Twinings in a piece tea which is fig and um, that ashwanga what's it that I can never pronounce it's all very calming (laughs) it's nice and vanilla flavors and nice nice smells good smells good and it tastes as good as it smells 
which some of them don't yeah nice so without further ado before we talk about tea for the entire episode um I want to speak to you both um about your experiences um and we'll go to Eva first um as the guest tell us about your mum tell us about who she was um what what was she like and you know obviously it's going to be quite a difficult uh conversation to have but how did she die so uh, firstly thanks ever so much for having me back it's an absolute pleasure that you asked me again and it's a delight to be here so yeah thank you um so my mum was called uh Catherine Riley Anderson was her maiden name um but when she died she went by Kathy Goodwin so she was the life and soul of every party a real show off um <laughs> A bit like me, some might say, um, so, or rather the other way around, I'm like her. Um, yeah, so she was great fun to be around. Um, and funnily enough, we didn't have that kind of relationship, which I'm sure I'll, I'll, I'll say more about later. Um, but yeah, she was great fun. And she died nearly 10 years ago now of... Um, Secondary breast cancer, I believe it was. It was all a bit complicated towards the end. She lived in Cyprus, so I don't know whether it was a a language barrier in terms of the treatment that she was receiving, Um, but she had cancer in her bones and her brain um, towards the end. So, yeah, she died of cancer. The short answer to the question. And in terms of, I suppose we'll come more onto this later, but one question that I don't think we've touched on in terms of preparing for, but what's your favourite memory of your mum? That's a really, really difficult question. <laughs> um, All right, what do you remember her for? Annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's it's funny actually because as much as much as I think a lot of us as women have difficult relationships with our mum I don't think it's uncommon and I I often feel guilty about the way that I speak about my relationship with my mum because she was a great person she was also my mum and it, it was kind of my job to be fractious with her a lot of the time but it's funny actually earlier on when I was tuning into this conversation that we've been having today I remembered that despite the lack of closeness between us um she would always phone me when I was really down and I remember being the countless times where she'd phone and I didn't really realize that I was quite upset and then I'd just find myself crying and needing my mum so she had that real um sixth sense I guess so even though I didn't see us as having a close relationship and we certainly weren't in each other's lives she had that ability to um be there when I needed her not that I ever asked (laughs) (laughs) um Vicky I guess same question to you um I mean tell us about your mom I know we've had conversations in the past and she sounds like a real sass pot <laughs> she um, was a character so I want to know um you know what was she like tell tell oh. us about her and tell us about your experience of losing her so mum was Pauline Pauline Cox uh before she married my dad she was Pauline Coles she was born 1947 
Maidstone born and bred. And I don't know why every time I talk about my mum, my Maidstone accent comes back. Because, <laughs> and even when talking to my mum, she had a real twang. You know, she was a Maidstone girl through and through. Um, she was just so caring and such a chatterbox. She was just the ultimate spiller of tea. She was just, <laughs> yeah, she a little bit of a gossip, but she could hold a secret when it needed to be when it needed to be kept. And she always just wanted to help people. And she, she could just spark up a conversation with anyone and everyone. I remember we went to um, Los Angeles on a holiday years and years ago. And we were on um, a train and there was this really shifty looking bloke. And I was kind of, you know, you, you know, when you're in a, a place, you're not too sure and you hold on to your bags a little bit. The next time I turned around, mum is telling this guy our life stories. And it's like she could just talk to anyone. She was just so approachable and so friendly. <laughs> and she was just massively into B horror movies as well. So, you know, like zombie beavers and Sharknado and <laughs> oh giant. Yes. Oh, my <sighs> God. She had seen all of those. And oh. she was just a real character. And family meant everything to her so she lost she was an only child she lost her parents and grandparents years and years and years ago she lost her mum to breast cancer she lost her dad to lung cancer so ever since I was little I knew or you know she was very very um verbal in talking about her fears for illness and worrying about her health um, but unfortunately, in July 2018, um, she was diagnosed with uh, lung cancer and she she was on treatment for a long time and it was going fine and it wasn't. Um, and she was she'd run out of her chemo treatments, but they were offering her some brand new treatments. Um, and she was going in for a routine MRI scan to get ready to go on this experimental treatment at the hospital. And she'd been complaining of pains in her legs. She'd been, you know, not been feeling herself. And she was having trouble, she had difficulty breathing um, when she laid down. So to cut a long story short, she was in the MRI scanner. Um, she lost consciousness. They revived her, but by that time it was too late. Um, and we had to make a collective decision to turn off her machine. Um, a few hours later um, and she passed away of lung cancer and those kind of complications on December the 20 no December 2020 December the 5th uh, 2020. And in terms of we'll carry on with you on that one because you've sort of flown flowed into mm. you know what it was like when it happened mm. what was it like to be present because a lot of people haven't experienced the loss of someone actually being there you know what was that like for you it was a really odd situation because we I won't I won't talk on behalf of my brother but I particularly didn't know what I was walking into we had just had a phone call from my dad saying can you get to the hospital now this was during COVID so this was during the second lockdown um, and so things were still in place and you know we, we understood that there'd been an incident that had happened but we could come and see mum that's all we knew so we turned up at the hospital and I was already thinking oh mum didn't bring her stuff dad didn't bring her phone so I can leave my phone she can watch Netflix on my phone do all this and that when we arrived we got told to go away you know this is COVID you shouldn't be here but then we got scurried through 
the back doors and whatnot we had to do full PPE gloves the whole the whole shebang the whole works and then the doctor comes and says you know I don't know how much you know but this has happened it looks like she's sustained some brain damage um for all intents and purposes she's not really with us anymore the machine's breathing for her um so you know what do you want to do and it was kind of an out-of-body experience it was right that's a lot of information to take on and you're telling me this is it she's not going to wake up and I'm not going to be able to to talk to her that you know the last conversation I had with her was yesterday is that is that what you're, you're telling me um so dad made the decision you know turn it off you know she wouldn't have wanted to carry on so we then piled in uh, the room turned the machine off um held a hand and it was it was good to be with her but it was quite disturbing at the same time um looking at it from a biological point of view you know the body is going to fight to keep itself alive and so the breathing was labored there was some twitching of the feet there was you know we were never sure if her last breath which was long was it but then she'd gasp in and it was quite a long drawn out you know she wasn't in pain but it was it was quite awful I would say but you know held her hand and you know I was trying desperately to think of things to say to her because yeah it was it just felt like an out-of-body experience and yeah it was very odd because it's something so familiar you know it's your mum so familiar in such an unbelievable situation completely alien I imagine yeah yeah and it's so hard isn't it to know those final moments what you say what what's what's profound enough to yeah to say yeah Mm um Eva what about you what was it like being there with your mum um so the the last few uh couple of months of my my mum's life was quite sort of hectic in terms of we didn't really know what was happening or what to do so as I said earlier she she lived in Cyprus so um she used to uh, come over here for the uh, come over to the UK for the summer months um regularly and just before she came over um she'd um collapsed at the beach with friends and that's when they'd realized that she had um legions in her brain so my stepdad phoned me and said um, this is what's happened and blah, blah, blah. And on hindsight, I think he thought that he was telling me that we were nearing the end. But because he didn't actually use those words and because I was quite inexperienced and, you know, there's there's an element of denial that, that comes into that. Yeah. I don't think I was hearing what he was trying to, what he wasn't saying, basically. Right, yeah. Um, and then she did, so it was a bit touch and go as to whether she would be able to come over here and she did, she got over here and that was a real celebration. And there was a sense that she had a bit of a bucket list. We went to Longleat and saw the animals because she'd been watching the show on TV and um, <laughs> did a few things like that. And then she um, had uh, an episode of thrombosis, which in hindsight, again, was something that is a result of cancer treatment so it's I don't think it's particularly uncommon especially because she'd been on a plane during that time as well still didn't really think anything of it she went home to Cyprus and then a few weeks later uh, my stepdad phoned up and said you need to come and get her she there's no palliative care in Cyprus I've pulled my back 
I don't know what to do. So we were like, what? Oh, oh, oh so she's so she's dying. Then this is this is like you know this is it. Um, so the conversations that we'd had when she was here was my cancer is terminal, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to die anytime soon. I could live with this for twenty years. Um, you know, so I was reassured really that it, that the time wasn't now. Mm-hmm. Um, again, in hindsight, I could have, if I'd have known what I know now, then I could have put two and two together and and um, come to the come to the conclusions myself. So uh, luckily, we we managed to get her back here, um, but it was all very disorganised. Nobody wanted to take full responsibility. My mum was in complete denial and had said that she didn't want to know what was happening to her. Um, And we were stood in the airport and my stepdad just phoned an ambulance and said, she's been taken ill on the plane. We need to get her to hospital. And I was like, what, are you not going to tell them that she's dying? And he was like, they'll be able to see. So it was just really like, (laughs) God, (laughs) what on earth is going on here? You know? Yeah. Um, so very, very luckily, we managed to get her um, into hospice and she was looked after um, towards the end. She defied everybody in terms of how long she would last. And then after a couple of weeks of unconsciousness, she passed away. She was very clear. She didn't, she never said that she knew that she was dying, um, but there was glimpses of um she said to me once is there anything that you want to say to me because we're running out of time and you know so she'd occasionally slip things like that into conversation where it it was quite obvious that she knew what was happening um but it wasn't the conversation wasn't open to talk about the fact that that she was going to die um but she'd said at some point that she wanted me and her husband holding her hand um when the time came and it just felt like it was going on for so, so long. They, they told us that she probably wouldn't last the weekend once she was unconscious, um, and she did. She lasted another two and a half weeks, so it had really got to the point where, honestly, it sounds awful, but I was thinking I'm not sure how much longer I can go on like mm-hmm. this, just going and being sitting by her side, like you said, Vicky, having no idea what to say, no mm-hmm. idea what to do real out of body experience you know not just not knowing what to expect um and the morning she died we arrived there and that that was actually the first morning I remember standing in the shower and just crying and thinking I can't do this I can't do this anymore I can't go and look at her I just can't be there anymore um oh sorry I didn't expect to get emotional no 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 <laughs> and then when we um when we got there it was a new um, nurse on the ward that I, that I don't recall having seen before. And she said, oh, I'm glad you're here. She's been asking for you. And I thought, that, that's ridiculous. She's not, you know, she's been in, in, a, in a coma effectively for over two weeks. You know, she's not asking for anyone. And sure enough, when I went in, she was like gasping and trying to move her hands as though she was trying to talk. And she she, she wasn't able to communicate Um in any way but it, it was clear that she was like right I'm here and the time is now and mm-hmm. and I just said to her look mama I need I need you to go now I need <laughs> what I actually said was I need to go back to work because I'm starting <laughs> to ask questions we 
it's a ridiculous thing to but it's so difficult not knowing what to say in that moment and then yeah she and then she she that was it she died and um I just got on with my life. I was so relieved that I could yeah. just get on um, because because it had been such a whirlwind in the weeks up to it. I had no space to um, to process anything that was going on. It was ridiculous, you know. Like, is she on the flight? What you know? Just just absolutely crazy. You couldn't write it. You couldn't make it up, really. Um, so I was just glad to be able to just take a breather mm. and yeah, just start to process. It it sounds like you've both had very, very different experiences, um, both with that sort of lead up where you knew your mums were very ill and therefore dying. But obviously the end was very different for both of you. I'm, I want to kind of get a feel from you both. Um, Vicky and I've talked about it quite a lot about anticipatory grief, about, you know, having that knowledge that that was coming and almost grieving in advance of the death. How did you how did you both deal? And I know you sort of touched on it slightly, but how did you both deal with that um build up in advance of the death? Uh, Vicky, you first. Anticipatory grief, I never even knew existed when I was going through it. Um, I wish I had because it would have explained a lot. Um, you're literally grieving the person before they've died but it's a very unusual sort of grief. Um, there's a lot of pressure that comes with it. Every moment could be the last. So let's make it a good, and you know, let's make memories that last. And, you know, a bit like you were saying, Eva, your mum asking, you know, let's, if you've got something to tell me, tell me now, because I'm not going to be here. It's in your mind, you're constantly thinking, well, the end is coming. So I've got to make sure that this happens, that happens. And it becomes loaded, that air and that feeling of waiting it's coming this horrible thing is coming and there's a grief in that by itself and for me with my mum it sounds awful but I missed her even though she was in the room because it was that aching grief of knowing she wasn't going to be here soon but also almost you know disbelief as well I couldn't quite believe it was it was happening because much like your mum either you know mum seemed to be doing really well for a time and then wasn't and then was doing well mentally mum did not cope well at all which I think really made the process of anticipatory grief and the process of losing mum really really difficult borderline traumatic is because mum was terrified from the day of diagnosis my mum changed she was never the same she was you know just yeah, she, she was just terrified all the time. And so showing emotion and having that honesty and transparency with how I was dealing with anticipatory, anticipatory grief and how I was feeling, I couldn't do that because I couldn't show that I was upset in front of my mum because it would set her off. Mum and dad were protecting me to a point by not telling me all the information. Um, but at the same time, that wasn't helpful because I needed to process everything that was happening but I couldn't process it in front of mum so as well as this anticipatory grief of trying to make every moment count it was well how bad is it and when is she gonna go is is this gonna be long term or is this gonna be tomorrow and yeah it's that's the best way I could describe it it's just anticipatory grief is horrible 
it's it's just yeah it's it's not a great space to be in I guess as well it's the sort of waiting isn't it and even you spoke about the the about how your mum defied what the medical people had said it's that well it could happen now or but it could happen in like however long and it's that waiting and not knowing and I suppose Vicky you were fighting two battles there because you were saying they weren't telling you Mm. so you you were even more in the dark I guess than Mm. than most um Eva what about you did you experience that anticipatory element of grief um yeah and and what you said then Vicky about not you having to hold space for your mum rather than doing any of the processing is is that's really difficult I think because of the relationship that I had with my mum um this is going to sound really bad but I think I'd lost that mother figure a long time ago in terms of that support network and that closeness as as part of my day-to-day um existence so I think it was slightly different for me I just feel like I was in a constant state of fight or flight in terms of just getting day to day. Um, but I think that processing goes, um, sort of happens without you fully realising it. So I think that it's almost, when they've gone, it's almost easier. I, I At the time, I, I always kind of thought, if I was the person dying, I'd like to... It, for it to be quick so that I don't have to go through a process but if I'm the person that's left behind I think that that time of getting used to it and that that thought process of seeing someone get sick and knowing that they're going to be going is potentially slightly easier my view now is completely different altogether um but at the time I remember I think I was quite glad to have had that time to um to process it but I remember when I was told it's the only time I've ever had a panic attack and because my stepdad had phoned my mum's sister and said you need to come and get her and then my auntie phoned me and said she's really ill she's not got anywhere near as long as we thought Um, and I remember just saying what am I going to do what am I going to do without my mum yeah I had to take all my clothes off because I was just absolutely boiling, boiling hot um, and just in like complete panic. But that was the only time I think really that, that and then I just went straight into kind of um, just getting on, getting on. <laughs> yeah, you go, like you talked about earlier, it's that fight or flight survival yeah. mode, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And that leads on, I guess, to talking about uh, how, how you dealt with the aftermath of the loss what 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 sort of process did you go through Ved? you lost anyone before um grandparents but uh, I'm not a, a from a very close family really so the, the same kind of applies and I don't know it's it's not it, it's always a loss but I think when it's someone who's died naturally of of an, an elderly age it's different to someone who dies when they're 60 and you know my mum was always very fit and very active and I know she I heard her say a few times I don't understand how this can happen not to me not to me you know um so yeah I had lost people before um but I was just relieved it was over I just wanted to get back to normal I remember I didn't spend I think within five minutes of my mum dying, I was out of the room, a friend called to check on me. 
and I think they were quite shocked when I just said, oh yeah, she, she's gone, you know, she's just died. And they, they were sort of like, oh, well, we'll, I will give you some time, but I actually didn't want any time to sit in it. I just wanted to completely get on. And, and I think that, um, I think my grief stretched out for quite a long time afterwards, rather than it being in that initial stages where other people might. I didn't deal with emotion very well then, so it wasn't something that I gave myself space mm. to uh, process properly. I don't think. Mm. Um, did that did that come back around where you said you didn't want you didn't want that space um, to sort of process anything at the time? You just wanted to get on with it. Did you then sort of find yourself sort of days, weeks, months after thinking? right I need to tackle this or did you just stuff it stuff it to the back of your brain to not be dealt with um a bit of both I think I think it has been dealt with in a lot because actually my mum's death was very healing for our relationship so a lot of the issues um that I'd had before kind of died with my mum so it was a very um positive experience in terms of dealing with um emotional issues that I'd had from growing up um I just think I, I, I channeled it in different ways. So I didn't actually grieve. I mean, grief's different for everyone, isn't it? You know, there's no right or wrong way and it, it's not linear either. So, but I, I nearly said it, I didn't grieve like like other people would. Um, I channeled it into doing different things and, you know, it, it changed my life. I did loads of really positive things afterwards. So I think that it kind of channeled into that. But I always consider myself... Um, slightly luckier because she she wasn't a part of my everyday life so yes my mum was no longer there but it's all the I always feel the things that really hit you in terms of grief are the the moments during the day where you go to make two cups of tea and then you realize Mm -hmm. that the other person's not there or it's all of those little moments where you think my mum would be with me now and we'd be doing this whereas my mum wasn't with me like that so I didn't have all those circumstantial reminders that she wasn't there anymore Mm. um obviously there still are those in terms of life events and things but it's not a day it wasn't a daily occurrence for me so I I often view myself as being quite lucky not to have had those in a way um Mm. if that makes sense sounds slightly odd no no not at all everyone's got different relationships with different people haven't they I mean Vicky what was what was the aftermath like for you because obviously it it sounded like the actually event of her passing was a a huge shock yeah so what was it like for your I suppose your mind and your body going through that after so um (laughs) it's not funny um the first time (laughs) that she um we thought she'd died because she hadn't breathed in we all kind of hugged each other on it, but then she gasped and it's like, oh, wait, 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 she, she's not gone yet. She's not gone yet. And it, it's <laughs> not saying there was humor, but if you're like me and you do find dark moments, you know, light yeah. in some dark moments, then um, yeah, that, so that's, that's one thing I wanted to share that, you know, you can find little lights looking back on it. Um, but after she had um, gone, um, we were in Bristol uh, Royal Infirmary, if anyone's been there, fantastic staff. We went down the stairs, um, still quite shell-shocked, couldn't quite believe it. And, you know, we'd had a bit of a cry, but we were just kind of walking in silence. And then my brother went to the loo, so me and dad waited. Um, 
and we we stood next to wh smith and i saw a book on the shelf and went oh dad that's actually a good book yeah it's about this and started talking and in my head i'm like how dare you how dare you be so normal you've just what are you doing like dad's grieving you've just lost your mother how are you being so normal about this um but then after that i can't remember getting home oh i drove myself home because i came from a different direction to my brother and my dad um so i don't actually remember going home i remember opening the front door and um my husband and my little girl there and chris was kind of oh did it not go very well <laughs> no you could say that no she, you know so that was the immediate aftermath the, the day the morning after I obviously didn't sleep very well that night but I got straight on my phone and started reading text messages from her and just all the way back just reading messages you know looking at photos of her and I think in my subconscious what I was trying to do was almost flood my brain with mum in that it will make that pain go quicker so let's just, you know, let's absolutely, you know, overdo it with mum everything, because then that will make make this all easier. This will make this all feel a lot, a lot nicer. Tackle, tackle it all head on. Yeah, because, mm. you know, I'm, I'm stupidly practical minded like that. And grief, you can't be practical about. There is nothing practical about grief whatsoever. Um, and in the run up to that with things like the funerals and so on, I think what I then did as a form of deflection was worry about my dad. And to this day, I still, you know, I love you, dad, but I worry about him a lot and how he has dealt with the grief. You know, he was married to my mum for 47 years. So that's, you know, a long time. And I think what I was trying to do was carry his grief along with mine. And that was my job to try and not be emotional and carry that for for him and that's very selfish that's not for me that's his grief that's and he told me at the time you know him and his grief those darker moments actually make him feel closer to her and who was who you know who was I to try and take that away um so in the in the aftermath that's kind of what I was trying to do I was you know trying to find a quick and easy way through the grief in a practical sense um, including kind of taking over the funeral arrangements and, you know, practical, practical, practical. Um, as Eva said, grief isn't linear. I still get days. There was one a couple of weeks ago where I was like, oh, I really want to phone mum. I don't know where that's come from, but I really want to just phone mum. And dad still lives in the house that he and mum shared and that we lived in as kids and teenagers rather. And you know, her clothes are still there. And so I went into her wardrobe the other weekend and just pulled out a cardigan and wore it and things like that. And it's, yeah, it still feels so unbelievable, you know, when I really tap into that grief and I allow it to come to the front, mm -hmm. it still feels so unbelievable. Yeah, um, I can't, I, I haven't lost my parents and I I can't even imagine what it's like. Um, and I suppose that leads on to my next question. There's an expectation, isn't there, when you are growing up that you will outlive your parents. Um, and I, I think that's a natural uh, thought process for anyone, whether you'd like to think about it or not, it is. Um, did you have any thoughts in terms of what that expectation would be like to lose a parent and 
if so, what was it actually like in reality? Um, Eva, what 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 are your thoughts on that? Oh, I'd never even thought about it. I've, n- I've never even thought about, like, yeah, like you say, it's just unwritten, isn't it? You know, your parents are going to die before you do. You know, they're older than you. That's the natural way that things happen um, or are supposed to happen anyway. But I'd never, I'd never thought about it. Um, I'd certainly not uh, talked to... I, I mean, I talk to my dad about it now, but obviously because of the training that I'm doing, it's it's something that because of my experience, I, I really feel passionately that people need to talk about it because if you talk about death before it's an issue, then when it becomes an issue, you've already talked about it. So it just makes things a lot easier. And it's and it's always difficult to talk about, but it's easier to talk about when it when you're not stood at the door of death, waiting, yeah. you know, waiting to walk through it. That that's the thing. Yeah. So in terms of like my mum, I had absolutely no idea. I don't think my stepdad had any idea. She said that if if the news was bad, she didn't want to know. He thought he was doing the right thing by not telling her anything. That meant that there was no consent to any of it. Nobody really knew what was going on. Nobody was taking responsibility for any decisions. Everyone was just flailing around, not knowing what was going on to the point where I'm not even 100% sure of what specifically she died of, which means I'm not 100% sure whether it's something that I need to worry about in my life because that information just wasn't there because nobody wanted to talk about it. We had no idea what to do for a funeral. Um, yeah, n- n- none of it. And I don't, I don't carry guilt in terms of that, but I'll make sure that I'm not in that situation or rather I'll make sure that I don't put anyone in that situation, which is not a slight against my my mum as such it's the way that uh, we are in our culture but if you can sort things out before you go it's the kindest thing that you can do for people because it takes that trauma away so that when you're not traumatized by what's happened when you know what to expect um because Vicky when you were describing your mum's death earlier that sounds from what I understand to be expected but because we don't know that that's very frightening for us to view whereas if we're informed and we know that this is what death looks like then mm. you know that's that's very very comforting in that moment to think okay this is normal this is expected this is okay we're all okay mm. um if you take the trauma out of it then people can grieve whereas a lot of people are too busy dealing with the trauma around the situation yeah regardless of where that trauma's come from, various places, to actually deal with the grief. Yeah. Sorry, I feel like I went on a tangent then and didn't even answer no. the question. <laughs> no, <laughs> not, no. Not, not at all, no. What what you say is absolutely valid. And I guess, Vicky, you'll concur. Yeah, I want to touch upon that point, Eva, because, because my mum was so terrified of dying and of the situation that she was in, when she did die it then became apparent that actually she didn't leave much of a plan for what she wanted. You know, she, we didn't know what to play at her funeral. You know, dad didn't know where she wanted to be scattered because she was in such a state. She was, oh, just scatter me anywhere. And you just, well, no, come on, come on. You're gonna... But she was in such a state at that time that me and dad had to make some really hard and tough calls as to what she may have wanted would that have been right would that have been wrong you know but where do we now scatter her would she have liked it there and not having that direction of what someone would like 
and how they would want us to grieve is really hard because and I think for me and I know you'll probably ask us later Katie but it's like for me I want people to grieve at least with a little bit of happiness because you know I, I'd like to think that I, I brought a bit of a smile to people's faces or I did some good that people can you know grieve with colour not necessarily you know the, the bad thing and the final because mum's final couple of years is very much in the forefront of my mind with my memories of my mum and that is really painful and I guess in time that will change but yeah so with the question you asked before about what I was expecting when mum to to have to not have mum there anymore it was not how it ended up being um I think you you cannot even imagine what the grief is going to feel like um you can imagine if they're not there but you really won't be able to feel it until it happens and I'm not saying you can't prepare for that but it's yeah it's it's really difficult do you think you talked earlier about um how you tried to tackle grief head on where you were just like right and I, I know what that feeling's like about that desperation mm-hmm. to try and think right apparently everyone says it's a journey let's start let's start it now mm-hmm. you know do you think that as soon as you found out your mum was ill that you started automatically trying to prepare yourself for that moment and tried to develop that expectation about what it would be like nope I think I was expecting mum to live on for years and years and she was making a big fuss of nothing. Mum had been so terrified about her health for a lot of her life. So, and she'd always come out the other side fine. So we just thought, okay, it's lung cancer. That is really serious, but she'll be fine. She'll be fine. So there's an element of denial. And, you know, I feel there's such an element of guilt as well because I got angry with mum. You know, I, I was there when she received a phone call from the hospital and I literally had to screech the car brakes on because she was just having a meltdown and she was screaming at the receptionist saying, is this my death sentence? Am I going to die tomorrow? Is, is this it? And so I had to kind of calm mum down and just, you know, and I was just like, oh my, yeah. And, and, and I got angry. I thought, oh, you can't talk to receptionists like that. You know, calm down. It's not that bad. And to this day, I feel guilty for downplaying how she was feeling at the time and, you know, really what she was going through and the situation that she was in. Um, so, yeah, sorry, I forgot your question. Did I go off on a tangent? I had brain fart. <laughs> what I'm so good at doing. It's all right. No, it's good. Um, no, I was just saying, did you, when you found out that she was as ill as she was, that do you think you tried to prepare yourself with an expectation about what it would be like? Towards the end, yeah. So I think the last six months when that realisation of, oh, shit, okay, this this has now got real. And then when you physically saw that she started to get a crumbling spine, so you would start to notice little changes. She she looked about, you know, 85 and she was only in her early 70s. And, you know, just little things like that would soon start to creep in that you'd think, right, this is, this, this is actually real. This is actually going to happen. So I did try and start to prepare and then you obviously go through that anticipatory grief without even realizing but yeah trying to imagine her not there is easy to imagine you can't imagine how it is going to feel because you don't know until you're there 
yeah i i can't i can't imagine um and i guess you you did touch on it about the sort of practical elements of things and you know Eva i guess what you talked about with this whole sort of getting on with things my question comes along to the sort of funeral cuz depending on the times obviously when certain things happen depend on how quickly funerals can normally take um like i guess what was your sort of role in the run up to the funeral did you take on a um an element of practicality did you you know what what was the funeral like how did you feel you know what type of funeral was had you know just what sort of what was the overall experience of that for you Eva um awful <laughs> um yeah no nobody wanted to take responsibility for it I think the fact that my mum didn't live here meant that there were no places that she went so we didn't even it wasn't even a case of well she liked it there so let's go there for the wake or whatever you know it was just a case of my dad actually ended up um doing quite a bit um so my mum and dad got divorced when I was about 11 and it was beautiful actually it was it was so healing for me because when my mum was in hospice she asked to see my dad and and my mum and dad mended their relationship while my mum was dying so that was really lovely um great to see them two just having a laugh together um so in the end my dad it was all a bit of a, oh, well, I don't know what to do. So she got cremated at the same place where her dad had been cremated that was on, it was local to where we lived as a family when I was a kid. Um, and we had the wake in a pub that my mum and dad used to go to as teenagers. So nothing, we didn't know what music to play. I didn't even know what what music my mum liked. Um, my stepdad just wanted to get back home Um yeah, it was awful. He he was having a relationship with um, a friend of theirs that I think had been going on for quite some time. And my mum knew that they were having a relationship. And I thought that it was the brain cancer that was making her confused. So I never listened to her when she said I thought it was paranoid delusions. But he he literally moved his suitcases out of our car at the funeral into hers and went home with her afterwards. And they oh ended up getting married. Honestly, it was like, you know, you think soap um, operas, like I said earlier, you couldn't write it. It was ridiculous. Right. So I, I just wanted it to be over. I wanted mm. my house back to myself. I, I just wanted to get on with getting on. Um, so in the end, I didn't even pick up my mum's ashes because I didn't know what to do with them. I didn't, I knew that I was going to be um, the one that made the decisions about it. Um, and I didn't want to. So I just left her there. Um, and then afterwards, her best friend actually told me that she and um, my mum's sister were really disappointed with the funeral, which I think is an awful thing to say to someone who, you know, um, to the daughter. But yeah, um, so she said that they were disappointed. Um, but I just did the I didn't want to take responsibility for it. You know, I didn't feel like I was the closest person to my mum and nobody else was there to really take responsibility. So it was all a bit of a mishmash of nothingness, really. It didn't reflect who she was. and um, But that's that's what happens when you don't make plans, isn't it? Unfortunately, mm. it's... And I, and I don't carry much guilt about that. I wish I'd have... Yeah. 
Um, I, I acknowledge that if it if it was now, it would be completely different. But at the time, I did the best that I could. Mm. So you know, I, I don't carry too much guilt about it because it wasn't my fault. You know, um, yeah. Not that I'm suggesting it was anybody else's fault. No. Everybody was just doing the best that they could. Yeah. Uh, like people do in these situations. Again, it's why I feel so passionately about um taking a bit of responsibility and like mm. you said earlier Vicky you know making it a celebration because that's that's what it should be yeah. um yeah I totally agree. Vicky I know we've we've spoke spoken in the past about um and you're very much like me in that the best way to deal with things is to get your practical head on write mm. a big list and start cracking through it um yeah. I know that's how you started to tackle things, but what was your mum's funeral like? Did she, I imagine with the fear that she had, she didn't make any plans? No, no plans at all. So um, we were stuck in the COVID times again. So we were stuck with the rule of literally a handful of people allowed, all socially distanced within, at the funeral um but you can tell we can televise it we can beam live via cemetery at westerly and that's what we had to do because um yeah a lot of people wanted to come but we we couldn't because of covid rules um but yeah mum didn't leave any plans of what she wanted read at her funeral the music so me and dad kind of got our heads together and put some bits together i did most of the arrangements and, and sort, sorted most of it out, um, which is fine. Um, my dad, bless him, he was grieving at the time. And with my practical head, I kind of wanted to do it as well. It was kind of my distraction tactic. Um, the funeral itself, it was odd. Um, there was her casket. And I think that was also what made it very, very real was seeing the casket. Um, we weren't able to see her body. We were, because sometimes you get asked if you want to see the body when it goes into the funeral home. Um, and I said, yeah, actually, I would like to say goodbye because my lasting image of my mum in that bed wasn't great. She was kind of crooked. Her mouth was, it, it wasn't a nice image to be left with. So I wanted to see mum. So I had the call and unfortunately because of COVID and the ways that they were storing uh, bodies, the temperatures were off and her body hadn't fed well and wasn't appropriate for viewing. So I think the only thing that I feel really angry, well, there's a lot of things I feel angry about with COVID, but COVID took away the opportunity for me to probably say goodbye to my mum was one of the things. So seeing her casket um, at the funeral really made it real. That was like, oh wow this isn't just us talking about mum she's she's here like she's she's in there that's whoa and that winded me a little bit um my dad and my brother gave the celebrants all the words they wanted to say whereas I chose to actually stand up and and say mine um and it was hard but I'm so glad I did it because I did it with a bit of humor and I think I really got across who mum was because you can go into funerals and lose a sense of who a person is because the sadness takes over. Mm. Whereas I wanted it to be, this is who my mum was. You are not going to forget her. Those little things that, you know, made my mum, this room is going to be full of it through the words that I'm going to tell you right now. 
Um, but after that, it was the biggest anticlimax I've ever had because we couldn't have a wake because of COVID. We couldn't have a party. You know, me, my dad and um, my husband and my daughter, we all came back to the house and had a cup of tea. And it was, oh, that's that's it then. That was that was goodbye. That's really odd. And, you know, we picked up the ashes and I got a little locket and had some ashes put in a locket. And I've still got her ashes here because we've not decided where to scatter her yet. But for all intents and purposes, that was it. That's all of this grief, all of it, which is supposed to be hinged on this funeral. And that was it. It was just the oddest feeling. There's like a finality to it that doesn't do it justice. Yeah. 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 There was no closure at all for me. How do you feel? And this is, I suppose this is, uh, this is a huge question. This is one of those uh, little answers to big questions. We'll put this as, um, Eva, how do you feel like grief, if at all, has changed you? It's completely, it's completely changed my life. Um, the fact that my mum died, like I said earlier, was very healing for our relationship and it reframed a lot of my beliefs around who I was um, as a person, which if my mum was still alive today, might not have happened. And that um, that has led to some really dramatic, dramatic changes. I wouldn't be training to be a soul doula if my mum hadn't have died and I hadn't have gone through that process. Um, I wouldn't have, have done any of the, the spiritual things that I've done in terms of Reiki and all the other, the other things that I do. Um, it's it's really forged the path ahead. So whereas my mum didn't really have much of a plan in terms of her death, I think her legacy has been far outreaching beyond beyond anything that we could sort of understand in terms of the people that um, her story will affect whether directly or indirectly through the work that that I've done and mm -hmm. will continue to do especially especially around death um so that grief which is still ongoing in in different levels um yeah it's completely changed the course of my path completely mm -hmm. um I, something I'm very grateful for actually when all said and done what about you, Vicky? So it's funny because each day in grief, because I do still feel like I'm grieving. I don't think you ever stop grieving, but each day in grief just feels different to the last. And I'm sure tomorrow is going to feel different uh, when I think about my mum or I see my mum's photo or, you know, I have a quick chat or something. It's, it's going to feel different every day, but it's definitely changed me. Um, I think grief inevitably, inevitably does because you're not only missing so to, to lose a mum as well. It's kind of there's a bond there, even if you haven't got a great relationship. That is your maternal mother, biological. That's, that is your mother. Um, and so th that's a massive kind of even though I used to have, you know, little tiffs with mum and used to find her annoying and, oh God, when will she shut up? And, you know, even when <laughs> in my late thirties and when I was 40, I was still thinking that way. But to suddenly not have that there, it 
does change you. It does make you see things slightly differently as well. Um, much like Eva, I made some big decisions on the back of mum uh, leaving. I was very much kind of, I'm life's too short. I know mum had a relatively long life, longer than a lot of others. Um, but it does make you think, right, if I've only got 72 years on this planet and I'm over halfway there, I'm going to have to make some big decisions now. Um, and I did them and I chose down a path of becoming a coach. Um, and what breaks my heart every time is thinking that, you know, before I was doing diversity and inclusion, something I'm still very, very passionate about. Um, but this coaching and helping people one to one and talking, my mum would have been bloody awesome at it. She would have been ace at it. And I just think she missed her calling for a start. But oh my God, if she could see me now. But I don't know if she would see me now if she was still here. Does that make sense? I don't know if I would have gone in as, as hard yeah. as I have. Yeah. Um, I don't think I'd be raising my daughter the way that I am if she was there. Because I love her even harder. I'm going to cry. Love her even harder. And her relationship with her granddad, with my dad. Oh my God. That bond is extreme. I think he loves my granddaughter more than me. He's just kind of, he, he will put her to bed. He will, he, all the things he, he means to my daughter who calls him her best friend, that bond would not be there if mom was still alive. So there are some exceptionally beautiful things that have happened as a result of this. And this legacy is that I have never seen a family bond like my granddaughter and my dad. Uh, like I'm having with my dad now. We have never had the bond. We have never been as close as we have been, as we are right now. That would never have happened. Um, and although I don't want to thank my mum for it, I want to just say how grateful I am that this is what she's left behind. It's amazing to know that something, well, for both of you, very beautiful things have come from such a, yeah. a profound loss. I suppose it's nothing that you can ever prepare anyone for, but if you were to give one piece of advice to someone maybe whose parent is ill um, in a situation where they have the time to build up to that and to say goodbye or to deal with that loss and anticipatory grief, what would be your advice to others, Eva? You just need to talk about it preferably before someone's ill so that you've got the proper space to think about what's important so that when you're in that situation there are no things that are left unsaid because when someone when you've got a ticking clock and someone says is there anything that you want to say it's not what's on your mind you're not in the headspace to think about asking well what do you want it's not it doesn't feel appropriate to ask what do you want at your funeral or you know what how can we go about this um we need to talk about it as soon as possible so that everybody is in the best place so that they don't have to have those conversations when the clock's ticking um, but that people aren't left with that um, the guilt and the trauma around these things and and basically just educating each other on what what death is and and the acknowledgement that it's part of our life cycle yeah. and it's not it's not easy um, but it is 
something that we all go through and will happen to us all. And we're so fearful of it. Um, and we we really shouldn't be and can't afford to be really. Um, yeah. Because that causes a lot more problems than mm. than the, the loss itself, I believe. Talk, talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Wagging that finger. <laughs> Vicky, what about you? I agree. And I think people like Eva, who are offering a service about being so open and talking about it and the soul doulas, I never knew about soul doulas. And I honestly think that would have made the world of difference for my mum because the doctors were doing their doctory thing and yes they've got great bedside manner but she needed something else she needed a handhold that I think a soul doula could have guided her with and guided her through her her journey um there's a fantastic book called listen by Dr Catherine Mannix and I know I've mentioned it before I think it was back in episode one and honestly I wish I'd read that before mum had been even diagnosed because it just makes that point absolutely crystal clear that being so transparent and listening to the person who is going through this journey it's just so it's just so important um also listening to yourself I think one of the things I wish I hadn't done and I still find myself doing is carrying everyone else's grief carry you know making sure everyone's comfortable is are you sad? Are you know, are you okay? You you were right, yep, yep. Without actually listening to to myself, because my grief hit me a little after in full force, um, and I think you know that's why the grief is still seeping now because I'm 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 a giver, I'm a giver, and I'm just so <laughs> worried that other people are going to you know to detriment myself that I just want to help others. Don't look at your own grief sit with your own grief and do what you need to do because this is on you as well absolutely I mean I don't really know how we close um after such a um a, a quite a profound episode really very deep and I want to thank you both for sharing such um intimate sort of feelings I guess I'm going to do the final sip with a slight difference today. And I want you both to give me your final sip, but I want you to tell me what you would want your mum's legacy to be. How do you want your mum remembered? And I, that's, I know that's a very profound question to just put on the spot, but uh, go nuts. Uh, Eva. <laughs> um, the life and soul, really the life and soul of the party. Yeah. She was a lot of good fun. And Vicky? If anyone can watch Sharknado or Zombie Beavers, or if anyone then choose, I don't know what else, the thing from the swamp. If anyone wants to watch any of those on the back of these episodes, that's her legacy. Just terrible mo horror movies. And yeah, that's that's her legacy that she's going to leave behind. <laughs> I'm going to force my husband to watch all the Sharknados now this weekend <laughs> for your mum. And me, of course. <laughs> um, thank you both so, so much. Um, for sharing such deep um, thoughts and being so open and honest and, and also vulnerable as well. Um, and thank you to everyone for listening because once again, these conversations are not easy to have, but they are so important to have. Um, and what we will do is we will put Eva's details on the bottom of our, um, our post. And uh, if you want to contact her about uh, soul doulering, 
um, then please do. And also Moon High Healing. So thank you both. And thank you to everyone for listening. And we will see you on the next episode. Bye. Bye.